The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Hi, I'm Reverend Linda Martella-Witset with Silent Unity, reminding you that we are here for you during the holidays to support you with affirmative prayer and inspiration. From all of us at Silent Unity, we wish you a beautiful and blessed holiday season. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. I'm Diane Ray, and welcome to the show. As I share with you my experience at the Parliament of the World's Religions, I recently attended my first Parliament this past November in Toronto, and for a seeker like me, it was an amazing experience. Just to give you a little history, the Parliament of the World's Religions is the largest interfaith gathering in the world. The first parliament happened in Chicago in 1893 and ran from September 11th to the 27th, making it the first organized interfaith gathering in the world. People representing faiths like Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, and newer movements of the time like spiritualism and Christian science were in attendance. 100 years passed before there was another parliament held for the centennial in 1993, also in Chicago. This time, as the diversity of America grew, the religious traditions represented had also grown, now including Christians of all denominations, Jews, Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, Wiccans, Pagans, Zoroastrians, Baha'is, and more. The Parliament has convened every four or five years since 1993 in different cities around the world. The Parliament I attended in Toronto had over 200 faith traditions represented and around 8,000 people attending. The goal of educating people and promoting dialogue between faiths is more important now than ever. One of the things I took away from this experience is that we all want the same things, peace, love, and the ability to worship whatever God we choose. During my time at the Parliament, no one tried to proselytize, preach to me, convert me, or hate me for what I believed. What I heard was that we are all more alike than we're different, and by understanding each other and becoming more tolerant and compassionate, we can all live in peace. In the next hour, I want to share some of the stories I collected and introduce you to some of the people I met while I was there. A lot of these interviews were just off the cuff and from the heart. I hope you enjoy them as much as I did. I was brought up a Catholic girl, and while some people say they are recovering Catholics, I never felt like I had to recover from anything. I always had a great respect for the history and tradition of Catholicism, and I never had a bad experience with nuns or priests. I actually wanted to be a nun in the second grade. I thought they were magical and had magic powers. As the years went on and I found out about the celibacy factor, I changed my mind on that career. I also grew away from attending Mass. I always seemed to want to sleep in on Sundays. I felt a great connection to the Blessed Mother, and I loved the rituals, but I started to question things like heaven, hell, and what I really believed. I felt that a God that hated my gay friends or condemned people to hell for other various offenses wasn't something I could follow. I also wondered why women couldn't be priests and could only be nuns. Things have loosened up a little bit. In 1994, the Church of England ordained 32 women as its first female priests, And in 2015, Libby Lane became the first woman to be consecrated as a bishop of the Church of England. Episcopalians have been ordaining women as priests for over 40 years. However, Pope Francis, the current head of the Roman Catholic Church, has drawn the line on extending full priesthood to women. In his mind, that door is closed. 
That's why I was surprised to encounter the booth that said Roman Catholic women priests at the parliament. There were three women manning the booth and I had to see what was going on. Could it be true? Were they just thumbing their nose at Pope Francis? They were happy to talk to me about their calling. I'm here at the Parliament of World Religions, and I'm wandering through the booths here today uh, talking to people, and here I'm at the booth with the Roman Catholic women priests. So I felt really drawn to come in here and, and talk to you ladies, because I was brought up Catholic, and I'm really happy to see a women priest, or women that are priests. So tell me a little bit about when, when has this been happening? I mean, how have you been able to be priests? And first, what's your name? My name is Juanita Cordero, and I'm from Los Gatos, California. And I, actually, I have three people here, and you are? Bishop Mary Eileen Collingwood from Brexville, Ohio. And Bishop Suzanne Teal from Portland, Oregon. So, I mean, this is Roman Catholic, right? And you're ordained bishops and priests. So when, when did this happen? The movement began in 2002 in Austria. A woman, Christine Luderberger, she decided that she felt the call to priesthood. She brought 11 women with her to start studying about what it meant to be called to priesthood. And seven were ordained on the Danube in 2002 in Germany. And how long have you been a bishop? Well, only I'm a baby bishop, about a year. But I was going to add to what Juanita said in that male bishops ordained our women. And then again in 2003, another male bishop who uh, we maintain is Bishop X and that we don't hand out his name right now for obvious reasons, um, ordained the women. And then since then, uh, bishops like uh, Mary Eileen here and myself ordained uh, women uh, deacons and priests and that of an Episcopal ordination if somebody's retiring. And is service a, a big part of, of your calling? Do you feel that's very important? I do. I feel that my call is to work with those that are, are not as fortunate as I am, that live out in the street, the homeless. We just opened up what is called Hope Village, giving each person a tent to live in so they have their own space and they don't have to worry about you know get, getting a meal the next day. And um, how, how do you feel about that? Well, I think that we all consider ourselves to be servant uh, priests, servant bishops. Um, we're not hierarchical. We're not. We don't see ourselves as clerical. Uh, we everybody has a vote. Everybody has a part within the organization. We're talking now about an organization that's grown from sec, uh, seven women in 2002 to about 270 uh, worldwide now. Uh, in the whole movement. And there are actually two parts to the movement. Mary Eileen, maybe you can explain that a little bit. We have two two groups. Sure, tell me about that. Well, originally the first uh, um, two branches started over in Europe, okay, and um, they had different ideologies on ministry, so they separated. When they came to North America, um, it was the RCWP, uh, we have RCWP Canada, USA, and um, in 2010, uh, a group of women from the southern region of RCUSA, uh, WPUSA, um, uh, created their own branch and a uh, different style of governance uh, um, at that time. And um, all the members of um, the association uh, can vote for anything that affects them as members. Uh, they're not a, a representative government. You know. 
Well, obviously, the Catholic Church has undergone a lot of changes uh, for the better, I'm seeing here, which is, is really encouraging. And what would you like to tell people who may have grown up Catholic and turned away from the faith? Maybe they felt that due to their sexual orientation that they weren't welcome. Is that changing? That is changing. In our philosophy, all are welcome. We don't turn away gays and lesbians. We don't turn away anyone that has a calling. We welcome everyone. Even in our liturgies that we have, some of us uh, perform uh, liturgies, celebrate liturgies in the home. Some rent churches. Uh, depends on where we are and the size of the community, but all are welcome to the table of God. We open the scriptures and break the bread together. And as all are welcome because we're inclusive with the uh, population that are searching for a religious tradition or expression, uh, even within our ranks, all are welcome. We cannot um, talk about inclusivity if we don't live it ourselves. Well, I would uh, not have much more to add to what they're saying, but I do want to call attention to the fact that we have a website, two websites, a Roman, and you just, it's really easy to remember, just run the words together, Roman Catholic Women Priest.org and, or ARCWP.org. And on the first one, there are uh, sections where it will say find a worshiping community and it will list those by state and uh, we welcome everyone. Uh, and that's Roman Catholic Women Priest.org. Time. Are you, are you seeing words? a younger generation? generation that are, are interested in this, that maybe more young women that might have not considered, uh, you know, Catholicism would would welcome it now? There are, they're going to different seminaries and they are asking questions now about where should they be serving Christ in the ministry that Jesus walked? You know, where can they walk with people? And they are asking these deep, deep questions within themselves. How can I serve others? Which, how, what way can I serve others? I see this happening. We just had three women here, and Suze can talk about that. No, I, I, I think it's interesting. I mean, this is the second parliament that I've been, you know, from the Salt Lake City one was the one before, but this one, there have been several, for three days now, groups of young women who said, I want to see your booth. Oh, it's women priests. They're, they're excited about us, and I think uh, they are asking questions. My take on it is young women are not going to take no for an answer, and we're already seeing that with that new, uh, the, the synod that happened in Rome and a group of, of women out there on the streets literally saying women vote, you know, women need to vote. Um, so I think that, that you're going to be, I think there are hope. But I wanted to speak for a second to your Unity group and just thank all of you and uh, Unity, UCC group, uh, the Protestant churches especially have been really, really gracious in loaning their space to us for our ordinations over the years, where of course we could not operate within the Catholic uh, set church setting. So I, I thank you for that because Oh, thank you. You've been, uh, you know, very gracious in, in over the years, I think. And our movement isn't for the faint of heart. It is a prophetic witness for the future generations. So we put our life and our witness on the line as a living, uh, breathing spirit alive and well today. And where that spirit takes us is where we go. And that's going to be archived for future generations. And uh, we're 
leading the church. We're not leaving it. Well, we need you ladies more than ever, that's for sure. And I think you must have felt a really strong calling. I, I just feel that with you. Well, I, I'm a mother of seven, and I've been married for 40 years. I've put in over 40 years of church ministry from the diocesan level to the university level. And I will say, I did go through a period that with the question, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I realized that's exactly what it means because I can, I should. It's a social justice issue for women. It's the social justice women for them in future generations and now. And um, I had to do, as Jesus asked all of us, put your life on the line and be willing to live it. And we're in really dire times right now. I mean, we, we need this message to, to go out there more than ever. And you feel that women, we're the ones that are going to do it, right? I want to add one more thing. Susan and I sat down with a cardinal from Honduras, and we had a good talk with him. And what he said is, you are the prophets of the future. Continue to do what you're doing. And my own bishop says, don't kid yourself. We bishops are talking about women priests, which was never heard of five years previously where they were silenced and couldn't talk about us. So it's happening. They're starting to begin to say, we need women in the church to act, function as priests. And even as, I mean, as recent as five years, that, that's not really that long. Now, you mentioned Honduras. What is the, the feeling in Europe, in the Latin American countries, where traditionally they're very, you know, male-dominated? In Germany, in Ireland, in um, Austria, they're very much progressive, way ahead of us. Um, it, the United States is a little slow. <laughs> But it's happening. It is happening because we have more vocations coming to priest, women priests in the United States than we do in the other countries. So celibacy, yes, no, is that still? Three married women that all have grandchildren. Okay, because you said you had seven children. So I had to ask, you have five. Yeah, and you have five grandkids? Okay. So so that, that tenant might be uh, out the window? We welcome married uh, women. We welcome widows. I'm a widow now. My husband died of cancer. Uh, we welcome gays and lesbians. I mean, so we're inclusive. Okay, so let's fast forward like maybe five, ten years into the future. Where, where do you see this? I'm sorry you're putting that in my <laughs> Okay, I can go to you. I'll go to you last. I'll start here. I may not be around in 10 years but um, because of my age, but um, still I see that from right now, all these beautiful young ladies that have come and asked us questions, they're the future. They're the ones that are going to make the changes. They see that, yes, we're here, but, you know, they're seeing gray hair and stuff, and they're saying, we can do this, which was never heard of five years previously where they were silenced and couldn't talk about us. So it's happening. They're starting to begin to say we need women in the church to act, function as priests. Well, the future seems bright from where I'm sitting. This has just been so positive and inspiring. And thank you so much for talking with me today. I appreciate it. Formerly a member of the Dominican Order of the Roman Catholic Church, Matthew Fox was asked to leave in 1993 for his radical views that clashed with traditional church teachings. Matthew was an early student and later an influential proponent of a movement that came to be known as Creation Spirituality. 
the philosophy honors all of creation as original blessings, not started in original sin. Integrating the wisdom of Eastern and Western spirituality, global indigenous cultures, and the emerging scientific understanding of the universe, creation spirituality is both a tradition and a movement. It's celebrated by mystics and agents of social change of all ages and backgrounds. I had heard of Matthew and his work for years, but I really didn't understand it until I attended his Cosmic Mass at the Parliament of World Religions. This was unlike any Mass I have ever attended. I love a good ritual, and the Cosmic Mass reinvents worship for the 21st century. Inspired by rave celebrations in the 90s, a Cosmic Mass includes ecstatic dance and techno music that draws from ancient rituals and world traditions of the past to morph into something completely new. The one part of the Cosmic Mass that I really loved was the part of the actual Mass that I really hated as a kid. There's a point in a Mass where you are instructed to reach across to your neighbor and shake their hand, wishing them peace be with you. As a kid, I didn't want to touch anybody, and I was afraid to look people in the eye. At the Cosmic Mass, at this point, Matthew instructed the participants to walk around the room and touch people's hand and say, the light in me honors whatever I see in you. For example, I would say, the light in me honors the sacred in you, or the strength, or whatever you feel called to notice from that person in front of you. As I went around the room honoring the people with me for their strength, their beauty, their wisdom, or whatever I saw in that person, I felt my heart opening. I really felt love and oneness with everyone, and no psychedelics required. If you have a chance to attend a Cosmic Mass, don't miss it. After the event, I had a chance to talk to Matthew about the Cosmic Mass, as well as his new book, Stations of the Cosmic Christ, and his hopes for the future. So Matthew, I just wanted to talk to you for a minute because I'm I'm newly familiar with your work, and I went to your Cosmic Mass, um, and it was just an incredible experience. How many Cosmic Masses have you performed? Well, we celebrated over 100 of them now in various cities around North America, uh, most of them in the Bay Area where I live, uh, but uh, many other cities. I could rattle them off, including at the Unity headquarters in Kansas City. We did that several years ago. We had a real nice cosmic mass in your in your center there. Well, it was just uh, amazing energy, such an incredible experience, and certainly not a mass that I have gone to in the past in uh, my my Catholic upbringing. Um, just the in, the inclusivity and the energy was was so incredible. Um, I mean, do you hope to continue to keep doing these in, in countries all over the world? Well, that was the idea. You know, I, when I got into the this notion of the Cosmic Mass 25 years ago or so, uh, it was the English, some young English Anglicans in Sheffield, England, who came up with the idea of bringing rave into liturgy. And uh, it's a funny story. They went to... Um, they were a rave community, but they went to the pastor of the Anglican church in town and said, we'd like to bring this to church. And he said, oh, great, bring it. Six months later, six months later, he came to them and said, you have to leave the church now. They said, why? He said, I'm getting too many complaints that there are too many young people in church. <laughs> Surely that's the last time that sentence has been uttered in the West, that there are too many young people in church. But... Um, I, I had just finished my book on the reinvention of work, and the last chapter was on reinventing ritual. And I 
talked about the need for the body, among other things, and silence and so forth. When the, six of these um, these members of the Sheffield community came to see me in Seattle, where I was doing a workshop, told me about their worship. And it was at the same time that I had just been fired by the Pope as a Dominican priest for 34 years. And um, so to make a long story short, I went to Sheffield to check it out, and it was amazing. And I said, how can I help you? They said, well, if you became a, an Anglican or Episcopalian, you could run interference for us because you get what we're doing if you theologians and priests do. And we're using your theology anyway, the theology of the cosmic Christ. So I thought about it and prayed about it, and, and I said, well, the Pope doesn't need me. He's told me so. So I went to the Episcopal Bishop in California, in San Francisco, and he said, you know, go for it. We're not doing anything for the young people, he said. So he, he supported me, and... Um, so we've been doing this over the years, and I know its power. I know what ritual can do. Good ritual heals, it awakens, it empowers. And let's face it, our species needs healing and awakening and empowerment at this time. And the grief work, of course, is very important. It's very important at this time. So I know its potential. So yes, I would like to see it catch on all over. That was the most powerful part, I thought, of the of the ceremony was the grief part, just hearing... The, some of the sounds that people were letting go was was really powerful. It is powerful. What we're carrying inside. And I quoted Thomas Aquinas that some of us have a bear inside that needs to roar. You know, we need to give permission for that roaring to come out. And that's the third chakra work. That's where we carry our grief in our, in our guts. And um, if we don't do that, then we're carrying this boulder in our hearts. We're not free to create. That's the thing. When, when you can grieve and let go, uh, then you're much freer to create and be your your truest self, give to the world. I wanted to ask you about your book, Stations of the Cosmic Christ, that has just come out with Unity Books. And it, explain to me uh, this project, because I'm, I'm not familiar with the book. Uh-huh. Well, um, actually it came out in hardback two years ago, but we're, I'm real glad to have it being published by Unity in this paperback version which makes it much more accessible price-wise, but also it's a beautiful version, and they did a good job of kind of um, editing and cleaning it up for us. And also the cards that come with it make it a port. It's a practice. Like, uh, people know about the Stations of the Cross, because you find them in every Catholic church and every Anglican church in the world. But uh, the Stations of the Cross are about meditating at 14 uh, meditations about Jesus' last 24 hours on the earth. But this, the Stations of Cosmic Christ, this picks up on all the other elements to Jesus' life, like the Nativity and the Transfiguration and the Baptism. And they're all cosmic events, like the Baptism of Jesus. We're told the sky opened up. And um, the Nativity, of course, you've got animals there, you've got angels there, you've got a star there and, and magi, you've got sheep and shepherds. I mean, the whole story is thoroughly cosmic. And yet we we tend to shrink it down to kind of a, um, well, the Christmas story has become pretty small in a lot of people's minds. So um, so we deal with the great I am sayings in Jesus uh, that, that come really from the cosmic Christ. That Jesus didn't go around saying, uh, I am the bread of life and the resurrection of the life. These words were put into his mouth after he died by the community. And they're powerful words. And so a potter, M.C. Richards, created these 
clay tablets of the I am saying. So we have those seven tablets reproduced in the book. And then an El Salvadoran artist from San Francisco now, he did the other nine tablets, clay tablets, around uh, these other themes of the events in Jesus' life and uh, that are cosmic, including the resurrection, the ascension, the Pentecost, the, the crucifixion. They're all set in the cosmic context in the Gospels, but we've shrunk them down to a very anthropocentric size, and that's dangerous. So, so I think this book could kind of be a practice that could awaken people's hearts and minds, uh, and I'd and I'd like to see them in all the churches. I think is a certain intuition churches have had not to all go with the stations of the cross. It's a bit lugubrious. But these stations, I think these encapsulize some of the deepest teachings of Jesus. And certainly all the liturgical feasts of the year are in that book. Those are the big events that we celebrate in the name of Jesus, the memory of Jesus. And that was part of the message uh, this morning during the Cosmic Mass that we do have to wake up and, and take care of the earth. And I, I got that message loud and clear. And you mentioned practice, and I just wanted to ask you uh, quickly um, about the uh, cards that you have. These are meditation cards, so this would be part of a practice that you know exactly. any, anybody could do. Exactly. You don't have to go to church. Even though I'd like to see these stations hanging in the churches, and we have a... We've created a, a possibility for that. We have an aluminum version, you know, two-dimensional that we can put on church walls, and also just a, a very uh, high-class photograph of each of the images that you could cheaply frame and put on the walls of a church. But these cards are wonderful because it makes it totally portable. You can do them at home. You can do them on the airplane or uh, on the subway or something. Yes, I agree. Well, these are beautiful, and I look forward to, to working with them. And thank you for taking a minute to talk with me about the book and the cards. Well, thank you very much. I hope you stay with me. When we come back, we'll explore more of the world's spiritual traditions here on A Seeker's Guide to the Parliament of the World's Religions. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. This programming is made possible through the generous donations of listeners like you. If you feel inspired by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to UnityOnlineRadio.org and click on Donate to make your offering today. 
Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Teachable Moment with Reverend Blair Tabor from Unity San Diego, taken from a talk called Sacred Service, The Ultimate Spiritual Growth. Who we are and who we perceive ourselves to be as human beings is just such a small part of who we are as spiritual beings. You remember the phrase that I like, you know, Emily Cady says, God did not make you to be spiritual pygmies, but spiritual giants. You know, and do we live as if we're spiritual giants? No, we don't. We live, we live as if we're you know, weak human beings. You know, we're spiritual giants. We need to live that way in our lives. So we have to let go of the ego. It's a challenge because we spent so much energy and focus on, on our ego on dressing a certain way and talking a certain way and looking a certain way and and aligning ourselves in certain ways to, to uphold that ego identity. But as we're willing to let that go, let it be permeable to spirit, then what we find is we're connected to that infinite oneness that is God. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Take time out for you and join other like-minded souls looking to build their connection to spirit with the Unity at Sea Cruise in 2019. Experience a spiritual retreat at sea as you participate in a special program designed to help you on your individual journey of self-discovery. Deepen and explore your spiritual growth with Unity ministers and presenters as you enjoy exotic Caribbean ports of call. For all the details, go to unity.org slash unity at sea now to make a deposit by January 30th and save $100. Follow Unity Online Radio on Facebook and Twitter and stay up to date with all your favorite shows. Become a fan by clicking the like button. You can join in with a Facebook Live event or just like and share our post. Be the first to find out about any big special guests that might be appearing on the air or any events at Unity Village. We want to hear from you. Make sure you leave any questions or comments about Unity programming. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for cutting-edge health information, make sure you join Dr. Evelyn Higgins every Monday at 11 a.m. Central here on Unity Online Radio. On the Dr. Evelyn Higgins Show, you will look at your health from all angles, the physical, spiritual, emotional, and intellectual. Dr. Higgins is an internationally recognized expert on health and wellness with over 29 years in clinical practice. Join the show with your questions and comments. The doctor is in. Tune in every Monday on Unity Online Radio. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. I'm Diane Ray, and welcome back to A Seeker's Guide to the Parliament of World Religions. There is an old Hindu proverb that says, There are hundreds of paths up the mountain, all leading to the same place. So it doesn't matter which path you take. The only person wasting time is the one who runs around the mountain, telling everyone else that their path is wrong. Hinduism has been called the oldest religion in the world, And some practitioners and scholars call it the eternal tradition or the eternal way. The world's third largest religion, over 1.15 billion people, or about 15 to 16 percent of the global population identify as Hindus. I've been a yoga practitioner for over 10 years, so I'm familiar with some Sanskrit terms and some concepts like karma, basically getting what you give, dharma, your goals or aims in this life, and moksha, which is liberation or freedom from the cycle of birth and death. 
I am also familiar with the concept of the Akashic Records. The Akashic Records are encoded in a non-physical plane of existence known as the etheric plane. I can get more into it, but your head will start to spin. On the second day of the Parliament, I was drawn to the back of the exhibit hall, where a large gold temple had been erected, and women dressed in beautiful saris were milling around. As I got closer, I could see a sign that said, Akashic reading, body scanning, and spiritual healing. I was drawn like a moth to a flame. The demonstration was being done by followers of His Divine Holiness, Paramanansa Nityananda, and members of Nityananda University, the world's largest Hindu university. I had a chance to ask two questions of the young Balasant, or child saint who had studied to be able to access this power to read the records. I won't tell you everything she said, but she did tell me to not worry about my past lives, but to concentrate on this one. After my reading, I asked one of the coordinators there named Anand to talk to me about the Akashic records and some of the beliefs of Hinduism. My name is Anand, Anand Seturaman. And tell me the name of the organization here. So this is the Nityananda Sangha. Um, this is a global organization, uh, Hindu purposes to promote Hinduism and the Hindu lifestyle. And our Swamiji Paramahamsa Nityananda, he is the one who has uh, started this Sangha. And uh, so the, what, he, what he saw today was the Akashic reading. Uh, this is a power that has uh, manifested... Um, you know, through Balasans who are essentially children who study in the Nityananda Gurukul. It's an ashram in India uh, and where Swamiji has initiated them into powers by awakening their third eye. Um, and uh, what you saw today was the Balasant was giving you a glimpse uh, into your... Ka- or your Akashic records or the cosmic archives, so to say, where any question from your, from the past, present or future that you may have uh, will get answered. Um, and the amazing part about all these powers, and you also saw there was a power called body scanning today where uh, the Balasan scans you with their third eye uh, and lets you know of any uh, body illnesses, problems and, you know, what lifestyle uh, or dietary breakthrough you can have to, to solve that. The amazing thing, when these paths get manifested, you also get healed in the process. Um, and that is the objective behind power manifestation. It's not misuse of anything, but it is to really awaken and benefit mankind, uh, which, which is why Swamiji has initiated all of this. So it was really fascinating when I had the reading. So what do you call the the young girls that are reading the Akashic Records? Is there a certain name for what they're doing or, or what they're called? They are called Balasans. Uh, Bala sons, quite literally, uh, child, child saints, so to say. Uh, they uh, they are disciples uh, who study in the Gurukul, in the ashram of the Nityananda order, uh, who get uh, who study and who spend their initial years, their schooling, in the tutelage of the Guru, uh, Swami Paramahamsa Nityananda, who teaches them and initiates them into the Hindu lifestyle. So they learn a bunch of other subjects also, like your typical English math subjects, but they are also, they have a lot of uh, powerful cognition, spiritual upbringing, which is taught to them at a very early stage in life, which is why their third eye is awakened at such a young stage. So are they um, selected at a young age by um, people that are able to see the certain abilities that they had? Are they born to this or no? Are they taught? 
Not really. It's quite voluntary. Uh, many of them, they were just like destined to reach Swamiji. And Swamiji very openly accepts anybody, any child who wants to come and join the Gurukul. Uh, in fact, this entire generation, he has just taken it up, uh, upon himself to, you know, awaken uh, that, that third eye and, you know, have a lot of these youngsters manifest these powers. Uh, Hinduism is all about living a very powerful lifestyle. It's not just like very, you know, peace and calm and, you know, it's, of course, all that will come, but it's about living life to the fullest and living life very powerfully. And he wants to propagate this message by teaching it to these children and have them as examples and you know go out to their world and you know show these paths uh, that's what he's trying to do here so yeah well I had a question when I was waiting in line I spoke with uh, one of your uh, fellow um, teachers here I guess and it was surprising to me when he explained that see I thought Hinduism was where you learn from the, d the different deities and avatars but he was saying that it, it brings you all to a one God and I, I didn't think that that was the, the case in Hinduism. But it's oneness. So probably that is the truth that uh, the person who was trying to educate you into, even though we have different deities, goddess, uh, god, and different forms and names, but the ultimate, the philosophy of the Hinduism, it talks about oneness. See, that was surprising to me. That's what I was trying to explain to you, what, what he was saying. Uh, Boris was uh, kindly explaining that to me. And what, what is your name? My name is Tushi Tehran. So I'm doing the coordination of the Canada Sangha here for the Nityananda Hindu University. This is one of the largest Hindu university that we are representing here. And what do you hope that people take away from... Uh, this experience here at the Parliament, like what is your, your mission here for uh, people coming to this event? So you, you tell me first. Yes. Initially, the awareness about the richness of the Hinduism itself. Hinduism, it, it's, it's the culture itself. It's not just about belief system or practice of one faith. It's about the whole culture, whether it's the tradition of the dressing, food, way of living. As Anand was uh, alluding to, it's the powerful way of living, how a human being can live in the peak possibility of themselves. So which, in this is the ancient tradition, and it prescribes all the methods for you to reproduce that in, even in this 21st century. So our main goal is to create the awareness of the possibility which resides among us. So explore the possibility. And are you both hopeful for the future since we're in such divisive times right now and people seem to be farther apart than ever? Um, what are your hopes? Oh, absolutely. We are all uh, headed towards... Uh and I guess the message, uh, you know, of the Nityananda order and Hinduism in general has been that universal friendliness, you know, build, uh, building those bridges and bringing everyone together. I think that has very strongly resonated uh, with the order as uh, a, a strong message, you know. So uh, definitely this is a way to bring people together. Um, 
there are some aspects of it which are quite universal regardless of religion people are following yoga in a very big way a uh, few would realize that you know yoga has uh, very ancient references in the hindu scriptures there is a very traditional way of doing it which swami ji is also trying to revive and yoga because of its popularity is already a very unifying uh, sort of uh, uh, it's a unifying factor among uh, people of so many faiths so the hope definitely is you know yoga will be promoted in a very big way swami ji himself says one of the first things you need to do is to work on your body and align your geometry to the cosmic geometry and yoga is the way to do that so i think i i am very hopeful of uh, yoga picking up in a very big manner to start off with uh, and that that will hopefully build uh, the path to enlightenment and you know awakening the global consciousness i'm he- i'm hopeful about that well thank you so much for sharing some time with me today and educating me about what you're doing i appreciate it thank you I also spoke with Swami Kripamayananda of the Vedanta Society of Toronto. Vedanta is one of the six schools of Hindu philosophy. Vedanta literally means end of the Vedas, reflecting ideas that emerged from the philosophies contained in the ancient Sanskrit text, the Upanishads. He explains it much better than I could. I'm Swami Kripamayananda from Vedanta Society of Toronto. Uh we are the branch center of the Ramakrishna Mission of Order of India. and we are here for f- last 50 years we celebrated golden jubilee celebration uh, our, for here in canada f- uh, in, in the september and uh, we preach uh, the message of vedanta and also practice that and vedanta is very all inclusive philosophy uh, of life which includes everyone and which respects all religions and uh, which whose goal is to find the truth the ultimate truth so we want to reach that truth and inspire people and when we know the truth we become free from all sufferings of existential suffering that is sure to come when we are born as a human being so the philosophy of vedanta uh, leads us to that strength where we can overcome all suffering After my Akashic Records reading, I was a little hungry. Everyone had told me to check out the Langer, which was happening daily in one of the exhibition halls in the conference. The Langer is put on by the Sikh community, and it's a term used to describe a community kitchen in a gurdwara or Sikh place of worship where a free vegetarian meal is served. Free Indian food, I'm in. When you enter the Langer, you're asked to take your shoes off and cover your head with a headscarf that they supply for you and even offer to tie it. This langer was filled with about 200 people all sitting in rows. You're given a plate and people start coming around with rice, lentils, chickpeas, and some delicious naan bread. You eat everything with the bread and it's amazing and plentiful. I grabbed a plate and sat down. A never-ending parade of food came by and I sampled everything. I'm definitely not shy when it comes to food. I looked around the room and I was amazed at the array of people, some in different color robes, some in traditional Sikh turbans. some clerical collars and pagan robes everyone is served without distinction of religion gender ethnicity caste or economic status sikhism is the world's fifth most popular religion and the word sikh means disciple seeker or learner some of the tenets of sikhism are equality and service 
People wear turbans to signify the equal status among the faith's followers and as a sign of respect to keep heads covered in public places or places of worship. In addition to the turban, another identifier of the faith is not cutting your hair from any part of your body. Sick women also wear turbans, but some wear headscarves instead. Anyone can become a Sikh if they wish, and all are welcomed into the tradition. After enjoying the langur, I wanted to find out more about Sikhism and why they are so open and welcoming. Obviously, service and giving back are big tenets of the faith. The next day, I went over to the booth of the American Sikh Council and spoke to President Dr. Gurda Singh Das and Vice President Jaspir Kaur to find out more. My name is Gurdas Singh Das. I'm a president of American Sikh Council. This council is a member of 75 Gurdwaras in the United States. And uh, we are the voice of the Sikhs. And we are doing lots of work to bring the name of the Sikhs because lots of people are not familiar with the Sikhism. And they have been a lot of mistaken identity because of our turban. So we want to educate all the people to tell them who are the Sikhs. And what is your mission here? Mostly education about the Sikh religion? Mostly is the education to educate them that who are the Sikhs, what we, what our beliefs are, and what, what projects we are doing to spread the name of the Sikhism. And could you tell me just briefly what are some of the beliefs of the Sikhs that people might not be aware of? We believe only in one supreme power, God. And we don't believe in any rituals, no idol worship, just basic three things what Sikhism believes in. Naam Japna means reciting the name of the God and then doing the hard work, honest work. And the third part is service, service to humanity. Just like you see in Langar, we have all the Sikhs are doing that. Those are the three things we do. And this was my first time going to the Langer. I went yesterday, uh-huh. and it was wonderful. I love that. And that is a mission of yours to, to feed everyone. She's our vice president. Oh, yeah. tell me your, your name. My name is Jasbir Kaur, and I'm the vice president of American Sikh Council. And this is the second time in, in, I'm in the Parliament of World Religions. We also went to Utah also. And um, I'm in this field for quite some time, for many years. Basically, by profession, I'm a teacher uh, teaching in inner city schools uh, in Youngstown, Ohio. This is my first time at the Parliament as well. And I'm, I'm overwhelmed and just so grateful to be able to be here and talk to people like you. So you said you're a teacher. So uh, are you trying to educate people about um, what the mission of the, the Sikh uh, Council is? Uh, I believe that um, as long as I'm teaching them the subjects, because I'm an English teacher by profession, and those kids that I serve are really, really um, socially and economically unprivileged and underprivileged, I would say. So I basically model Sikhi by my actions, by loving them, respecting them, and doing other things, cooking for them, and sharing with them all the love and joy, because they are just like, you. we all know how much they go through all the traumatic life. As you said, um, Dr. Gurdas said, that our values are to earn honest living by hard work, because we are really... Um, civilized and wonderful disciplined citizens of these countries we are here we love we stand for sovereignty and freedom we stand for human rights for everyone and we also stand for 
equality, we don't have any gender inequality in our faith because women and men are same, two faces of God. So we, we respect men and men respect women because without each other we are nothing. That's what I'm trying to teach my young students. And we also do not convert anybody into Sikhi. We just model those things that you could feed people. You are all our brothers and sisters. We could always stand by you. We could always love and respect you. And we have to coexist by accepting each other and not forcing ourselves on each other. So we are against oppression. We are against forced conversions. We are against people cheating away our rights to educate and to live. So that's what we believe in. And also you had mentioned service yes. as in, you know, serving people. And so that's that's a big part of, of what you believe. Is it kind of demonstrating your faith by service? Yes. That's right. Yes. That's what we do. Right. Serving the old, serving the poor, uh, those who are hungry, we serve them food. Those who are uneducated, we give them education. Those who are not having enough power to stand up for themselves, we help them as well. And we also stand against the unlawful activities of the governments. And that's why we get into so much uh, traumas and genocide and everything else that we are facing back home in India. So um, we just stand up for the love and justice for the whole humanity and this universe as well. And what do you think is, we're in such a desperate time right now, um, do you think that people will be able to come together more in the future? I mean, what what do you think will be uh, happening in the next five to ten years? Well, this is our goal. We would like to bring all the humanity together, respecting each other, and that's the only way to bring all together at, at one humanity. Yes. That's the only way we'll survive, is that right? I just want to add that although we have all the degrees in the world, the formal education that we get in this world in different institutions, but I think we need to learn those values which can really connect us. And those values are not taught in this formal education. We who have understood some, whether we are Christians, whether we are Muslims, whether we are Zoroastrians or Sikhs or whoever, we need to come together and share with each other, yes, we are similar in million ways. Why, if we just have one difference, it doesn't matter. Let's connect with what is similar. So that's what we are teaching these kids, like all races are equal. So we tell them, you can still exist, you can still love each other, you can still respect the differences of the other person. You may not look like me, you may not believe what I believe, but you're still a human. You're yes. still the same flesh and same blood. You still smile my way. You still look like I look. And you still think, you know, same mechanism works in you as in me. So why can't we connect? Why can't we love this world? Why can't we appreciate the air, the sun, the water, the earth? And then we will just, we will be mellowing down and we won't have too many differences. Well, that is so beautiful, and thank you so much for educating me yeah, about the, the Sikh religion and the mission, and thank you so much for being here today. Spending time with the Sikhs was so inspiring. What a gift that they feed everybody and respect all faiths and traditions. So many people are quick to say, stay away, get out of our country, or call people terrorists because they don't understand different traditions. It makes me sad that these gently giving people were persecuted because they were turbans, and people are afraid of what they don't understand. 
Is it really that hard to live and let live? I made my way back to the Unity booth to join some of my fellow Unity participants and maybe snag some new people to talk to. I didn't have to wait long, and a man whizzed by me in a wheelchair wearing a yarmulke. He had such an incredible energy and smile that I really wanted to talk to him. I flagged him down, and that's how I met Rabbi Zev. We started to talk about forgiveness, and I quickly grabbed the mic and turned on my recorder. Tell me your name because I want to pronounce it correctly. Zev Chaim Fair. And where are you from? The Upper Worlds, aren't we all? <laughs> our, our planet Earth? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's lifetime. I live in Southern California. Well, I want to know about your work. And what, what struck me to want to speak with you is that you mentioned forgiveness. And forgiveness is uh, such a, an important subject and kind of a trigger for some people. You know, they, they find it very difficult to forgive. It's such a broad term. You say forgive everybody, but sometimes it's not that easy. Tell me a, a little bit about your work and your thoughts on forgiveness. Well, my, my thoughts on forgiveness come on, on two levels. There's the, the immediate level and the ultimate level. Um, immediately, we are hurt. We cannot heal the hurt until we forgive and get over it. On the ultimate level, there is no forgiveness because there's no condemnation. And there's therefore nothing to be forgiven. But still, we feel the need. Uh, to forgive someone is to exercise power over them. To refuse to forgive is to exercise even more power. But, but even, even forgiving is an exercise of power. And the goal then is to get beyond, get beyond the hurt and beyond the need to forgive. I, I was once, at, at a program I did, I was once asked by a young woman, uh, she said her father had been abusive to her. She didn't tell me any details, so I don't know whether it was verbal, physical, sexual, whatever. And she said, "Do I have? will he have to keep being reincarnated till I forgive him? And I told her, I don't know, but I have a very strong feeling that you will need to be reincarnated as long as you feel there's something that you need to forgive. So really the act of forgiveness is more of a gift that we're giving ourselves than, than to the other person. But would you say that the act of forgiveness is a process? It is a process, but there's also at some point, if as a rabbi I can use Christian terminology, uh, a Damascus experience. Uh, there's a process preparing for it, but it actually happens like a bolt of lightning, suddenly. Uh, again, that bolt of lightning will not hit unless we are prepared to receive it. Well, it's such a timely topic, especially with the events uh, recently in um, Pennsylvania at the synagogue and just how divisive that we are. And you'll be hearing this interview later, but it is Election Day. Um, so people are, you know, thinking of, of their views and, and things things are really divided. What what do you see happening in the next in the next few years? I mean, we need to work on forgiveness. Is is there is there hope? Well, the model for me several years ago, when the Sikh Gurdwara in Oak Park, Wisconsin, was was shot up and eight people murdered, and the the shooter also died. Every Sikh Gurdwara across the country and and perhaps around the world had a memorial for the nine who were killed the eight murdered, and the gunman, who, who was perhaps more in need of our prayers than anyone else. And I feel the same way about the, the man who did the, the killing at the synagogue in, 
in Pittsburgh. Yes, we, we mourn our loss, but we also need to mourn the hatred and pray for those who commit violence that they may be healed from their hatred and from their anger. Now, you travel around and speak at uh, different, you know, churches, I'm sure synagogues and, and interfaith. Um, where can people reach you if they would like to talk with you or get in touch? Oh, you're letting me do a commercial. How wonderful. <laughs> okay. I am Rabbi Zev Chaim Fayer. Uh, you can spell it any way you like. It'll get to me. The last name is spelled F as in fabulous, E-Y-E-R. And you can email me at R-E, B is in beautiful, another B is in beautiful, E-Z-E-V, at N-E-W, that's new, dash, T is in terrific, Z, F is in friendly, A, T is in terrific, dot com. That's a very positive uh email and an address. I like that. Thank you so much for, for talking with me. Well, thank you so much for speaking to me. Uh, it's been a delight. And with that, Rabbi Zev zipped on his way in his motorized wheelchair to make his next speaker's event. Talking with him was another piece of the human puzzle that was coming together at the parliament. All of these people sharing what their beliefs and hopes were and the common thread that was emerging from all of them was really a message of oneness and how we need to come together for the good of the planet. Thanks for spending this hour with me as I explored the Parliament of World Religions. Next week, when I come back, I'll share more of my experiences at this life-changing event in Toronto. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.